0: Uh, Father, um, we just thank you for the joy of gathering as your people here today. Uh, We thank you for what we've already done, uh, hearing, um, singing words of praise to you, reminding ourselves of the truths of the gospel and of your greatness and glory and that you are worthy of all of our praise, um, that Jesus is our glorious risen Lord and King. Uh, thank you for your word that reveals uh, yourself um, to us and your great unfolding plan of salvation, universal salvation for the world. And today, uh, right now, as we, as we read uh, your word and hear it preached, uh, please soften our hearts, uh, please uh, allow, um, enable us to take your word into the deepest part of our being and change us from the inside out. Um, help us to live lives uh, reflective of who we are as children your children Um, so be with us now by your spirit in Jesus name amen all right 1 Peter 2 from verse 4 as you come to him the living stone rejected by humans but chosen by God and precious to him you also like living stones are being built into a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood offering spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ for in Scripture it says see I lay a stone in Zion a chosen and precious cornerstone and the one who trusts in him will never be put to shame now to you who believe this stone is precious but to those who do not believe the stone the builders rejected has become the cornerstone and a stone that causes people to stumble and a rock that makes them fall. They stumble because they disobey the message, which is also what they are destined for. But you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession
1: Uh, it's great to be with you again today. I've noticed that every male who's been up here this morning has been wearing shorts. Uh, I thought about doing, doing that, but I figured that it would be distracting, at least for me, if you are all wearing sunglasses. So uh, I've chosen uh, not to take that course of action. Uh, I have very white legs. There's an outline in the leaflet you received, give you some idea where we're heading, and we'll tuck into it. What do you wanna be when you grow up? Uh, that's a question that children get asked incessantly as they go through life. Uh, and if you're like me, you've gone through different phases as you've been growing up. Uh, when I was three or four, my parents told me that I desperately wanted to be a fire engine, okay? Not a fire man, but a fire engine, okay? I was uh, obviously philosophically and ontologically challenged. Uh, as, I, as I went through life, uh, late primary school, high school, the thing I wanted to be was a professional sports person, uh, like lots of uh, lots of young young blokes and women. And then, as I went through, I eventually studied law at Adelaide University, uh, became a Christian, and became a minister in a church. So that's sort of been the trajectory I've I've gone through. But that whole vocational question occupies people's thinking in a whole range of ways. I remember there was one uh, man, as he got to the end of high school, he was the son of a minister that I worked alongside, and he he went to someone to give him advice on what he should do with his life. And the results came back, and the vocational guidance person told this 17-year-old that he was ideally suited to be a funeral director, uh, He wasn't exactly excited by this sort of possibility Uh, but you know like me that vocation uh, it it shapes our sense of who we are. Uh, When you get into a social context with people you've never met before and they ask you you know what you do or what you used to do for a career you know uh, often we'll say things like well I'm a you know secretary or a school teacher or an accountant or a lawyer or a you know I am such and such. And that whole sense of who we are is tied up with what we do, that link between career and identity. In this New Testament letter one, Peter, today we come to this hinge passage. it's one Peter chapter two verses four to ten. and it speaks to the whole question of our core identity and what it does is it gives followers of the lord jesus uh, vocational training insights it points to who we are our sense of identity so let's uh, dig in it to get into it together and see see how we go the key to vocation christian vocation it starts with actually understanding who jesus is and what he's accomplished doesn't start with us starts with him If you go with me to uh, uh, 1 Peter chapter 2, particularly verse 4, and what you'll see here is this passage is riddled with building imagery and we capture it in verse 4. As you come to him, the living stone rejected by humans but chosen by God and living to him. What we're being told here is that Jesus is the living stone chosen by God. Right, living stone chosen by God. But here's my question for you: How can Jesus be chosen? I mean, in what sense is He chosen? If we went back to the start of the letter, chapter one and verse two, uh, believers there are described as chosen. That is, God calls us into His family. But how can Jesus be chosen? I mean, isn't Jesus eternally God? What sense chosen? Well, it becomes clear when you look at the other part of the description here. Jesus is described as the living stone who's chosen by God. Now, it's imagery that's um, drawn out of the Old Testament. So if you go to verse 6 of chapter 2, it quotes from Isaiah 28, uh, the Old Testament prophet. See, I lay a stone in Zion, a chosen and precious cornerstone. And the one who trusts in him will never be put to shame. Now, the prophet Isaiah, he was, he was ripping into God's people. Uh, they thought that because they lived in the promised land, they had this incredible temple. Everything was good between them and God. You know, they, uh, and the prophet was saying, you can't treat the temple like a good luck charm. That's not the way it works. Uh, you're not secure with God just by definition. And Isaiah he predicted the destruction of the temple, but he said that God would erect a new temple, one with the lasting foundation. A chosen and precious cornerstone. But I want you to notice in verse six, chapter two, verse six, that the cornerstone is a him, not an it. A chosen and precious cornerstone, and the one who trusts in him will never be put to shame. Uh, Jesus, and of course it's talking about Jesus. The prophet was predicting how Jesus would be sent into this world. You see, Jesus is chosen in the sense that he is God's appointed means for the salvation of people. If we went into the New Testament to a place like uh, John chapter 2, in that uh, section of the Bible Jesus is in Jerusalem he's at the temple and what he does is he drives people out of the temple because they're ripping others off they're trying to make money or profit out of selling stuff on the way into the temple sacrifices and Jesus is just outraged and so he drives them out of the temple and the people who are driven out challenge him about his authority and this is what he says he says destroy this temple and I'll raise it again in three days. Now, this temple in Jerusalem that they were standing in front of at this point, it had taken decades to build, right? And it was probably about the size, if you think of the Adelaide Oval Precinct, the buildings and the surrounds, that's about the extent of the temple. And it's okay. I'll give you some instructions about the plane taking off in just a moment. <laughs> <laughs> the, uh, the air conditioning has just come on, okay? But that's okay. Just uh, focus with me. Jesus is standing in front of this temple. Uh, it is a huge precinct. And he says, I'm going to destroy this and build it in three days. And, of course, everyone's going, you must be bonkers. Then he goes on in verse 21, and we get this com- comment. The temple that he'd spoken of... Was his body? Was his body? You see, Jesus, by his death and resurrection, he is the—he provides the platform, the basis for people to be saved. And he precious, precious living stone. Verse four: chosen by God and precious to Him. Or verse six: chosen and precious. We've landed. We're okay. Uh, Verse 6, a chosen and precious cornerstone. Or verse 7, to you who believe, uh, this stone is precious. Uh, Christians over the years, we've made a habit of erecting uh, very impressive church buildings made of big stones. Some of you know that in the Trinity Network, the uh, sort of the oldest church in our network is actually the oldest church in Adelaide. Uh, it was built and people started meeting in it in 1838. Uh, it is built of very impressive, big stones. It's that sort of buildings. But friends, Christian, we don't treasure buildings made of dead stones. Right? We don't. We treasure the living stone, uh, Jesus. He is precious to us. Then this building, building imagery, it changes as you move through this passage. In verses 7 to 8, it says, Now, to you who believe, this stone is precious. And then we get these two quotes from the Old Testament. Psalm 118, the stone the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. And then Isaiah 8, a stone that causes people to stumble and a rock that makes them fall. Now, can I, I just highlight two things here? Uh, the first is that Jesus' value is not and never is based on his popularity. Uh, they took a poll in the first century and they killed him. Right? Uh, that's that's the way they voted. Verse 4, he's rejected by humans. But, but it is God's opinion that matters here. And God says that Jesus, he is precious. And therefore we should see things the same way. But the second thing I want to point out here is... Uh, If you notice, Jesus is obviously divisive. Uh, Verse 8, describing the cornerstone that causes people to stumble and fall. If you don't uh, trust Jesus, then you disagree with God about the core purpose for your life. Uh, God isn't some glorified life coach that's trying to help you achieve your goals and aims as you press on through life. And uh, he is the life coach who actually tells you what your life should actually be about. And if you make anything else the foundation for your life, then you actually invite the judgment of God on you. That's the point being made here. Now, even as I say that, I know that that sort of statement is so inflammatory to tolerant 21st century ears. But there is no way to have a relationship with God except through the one that God has appointed as the means for having that relationship. Jesus is the only one who gives us that possibility. Now, I'm going to talk about vocation in a moment, but let me just pause for a second and just say that this passage tells us a lot about how carefully we need to go about building God's church. Uh, one, of, one of the pastors around the network caught up with someone the other day, and uh, that person who went to a church that's shrinking in size with people who are generally over the age of 80, said, "What's the secret you know, of the Trinity churches? You know you're planting churches and they seem to be growing. You know What is the secret?" It made it sound a bit like we had sort of seven herbs and spices or a secret sauce, you know, uh, that sort of thing. And, of course, it is easy for us to speculate uh, and even to attribute to where things to ourselves. You know, the the secret to a growing church is the fact that we're a Bible-teaching church. It's not the foundation of our church. Well, the secret to a church is having, you know, a senior pastor like the energetic uh, uh, pastor you just saw on the screen doing the, the children's song, Duncan Andrews, you know, or a, an older, less impressive you know, senior network pastor like me, you know, or, you know, we could think of all sorts, you know, great music or uh, terrific children's programs or uh, you could go on and on and on and on, okay? But friends, the secret uh, to our church is the fact that we treasure... Jesus. Those other things are helpful, but they're not at the heart of it. In 1 Peter 2, verse 24, we're told this about Jesus. He himself bore our sins in his body on the tree. Or in chapter 3, verse 18, Christ also suffered for sins, the righteous for the unrighteous, to bring you to God. We treasure jesus he is the foundation for our church and we build on him and only him because he is the only one that makes it possible for us to have a relationship with the god of the universe jesus foundational so having established the central place of jesus What Peter now does is he turns our attention uh, to what what that means for us as followers of Jesus. Now, this is the vocational bit, all right? right, This is uh, knowing Jesus. This shapes who we are and how we live. And again, what you see here is that our vocation is caught up with this temple-building imagery in order to help us to get who we are. So we're described as living stones who together... Make up a space house, verse 5. You also like living stones being built into a spiritual house. Uh, Today we're meeting in a building that's made of dead materials, you know, glass and uh, steel and carpet and plastic chairs that are too tall so your legs dangle at the bottom of them. You know, like that's the sort of building that we meet in today. It is a building made of dead material literally it is lifeless we'll head home after this meeting and we'll lead busy active lives but you know what the building will do nothing right buildings don't do anything right they just are here that is the point god's people here though are described as living stones where the living stones meeting in a dead building. That's the picture of us this morning. Its language or its picture language comes from the Old Testament. And the Old Testament, um, the temple functioned as the meeting place between God and his people. But can I say no more? No more. Uh, You didn't come here to meet God any more than you would have done if you stayed in your lounge room at home. That is, the building doesn't guarantee that sort of outcome. God is no more present here than he was in your bedroom when you left. But we are the living stones in whom God dwells by his Holy Spirit, and together, as we meet today, we are the spiritual building in which God dwells. There's a reason for us meeting, uh, but it's not because of the building, it's because of the building, the people who make up that building. And we are what God is building in and focusing on in his world today. God's constantly adding to his building. One of the, uh, Two weeks ago, I got this call on a Thursday afternoon from one of the pastors in the network. He was so excited and he told me about in the fact, they have been catching up with Andrew for two and a half years, sitting down, reading the Bible with him, and finally he said, we were about to leave, and Andrew said, look, you know, George, wasn't George, another pastor, uh, he said, we've been doing this two and a half years, I reckon about three or four months ago I was ready to become a Christian, and I'd like to, I'd like to uh, become a Christian today. And i said to this pastor i said you're very slow aren't you you know <laughs> how did you miss that cue you know no i didn't say that at all but uh he was just uh, he said and he became a christian just there uh, and i just had to tell somebody so that's why i'm calling you so i could just tell you how excited i am friends that that is what god is doing and yet sometimes we feel the pressure of not being at the heart of what God is doing in the world. But it is what God is doing. The Christians that Peter wrote to, they were marginalised for following Jesus. I think today, we know in Australia that Christians are not flavour of the month. We know that we're not popular. We don't run a risk of meeting together like some Christians do around the world. But the reality is, That we know the pressure we're under when we leave uh, throughout the week to go quietly as christians but friends god is still building his people today the the experts they tell me there are two billion christians scattered across the planet and the number of people becoming christians is three and a half times the rate at which the population around the world is growing now what that means is, while I've been speaking uh, across the planet, about three and a half thousand people have become Christians uh, just during the time we've been meeting this morning. Quite extraordinary, isn't it? The church, uh, it is. It The church—it is just wonderful. Friends, we are the church of God, his people. And we're at the centre of his eternal plans. And it gives you perspective, doesn't it? Uh, you ask your Neighbours, how important they think church is or how important they thought this meeting was this morning, they'd probably say, "Ah, you know, so it's nice for you if you find it helpful, but pretty incidental, really, to all of life. Can I say that's absolute garbage? Do you understand that that this gathering and other believers who are gathering in Victor Harbor today, you're at the heart of God's Eternal purposes for what is going on in this world. This is the action center of the universe at this very point in time. From God's perspective. Not because you are incredible or I'm incredible. Because as I look around, that's definitely not the case. All right? <laughs> no, I don't want to insult you. But do you understand what I'm saying? It is because of God's activity in our midst. And then what we're told, as this passage unfolds, is that the followers of Jesus were described as priests. It's interesting, isn't it? Verse 5, you're a holy priesthood, offering up spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God. Or in verse 9, you are a royal priesthood. You see, this is the um, identity of every Christian person. Picks up the language of the book of Exodus in the Old Testament. Exodus 19. God saying to his people as they're about to receive, you know, the Ten Commandments and instructions about how to live in the land. If you'll obey my voice and keep my covenant, you shall be my possession among the peoples, for all the earth is mine. And you shall be to me a kingdom of priests and a holy profession. Uh, the priests in the Old Testament, they uh, offered sacrifices to God for sin. They were like the middlemen who introduced people to God. Friends, we have no need for those those sort of priests these days. They're totally irrelevant because all believers have access to God through Jesus. And in that sense, we're all priests. But also, this talks about our vocation, who we are, what, how we're meant to live. I I was ordained an Anglican minister in November or December, I can't quite remember, November or December 1987. But the truth be known, I was ordained or priested in September 1978 because that's when I became a Christian. That's when I became a priest according to this definition. Are you a Christian here this morning? But you're a priest. Congratulations, I just ordained you all. You're a priest. I didn't ordain you, God did. That's the definition of who you are. I get it that it's not necessarily the line you want to run with at a party. You're introducing yourself to strangers. What do you do? I'm a priest. It sort of works for me, but I'm guessing it's not going to work for you probably. But you need to think that way actually need to think that that's who I am, that's the function I have in this particular setting. Uh, You represent the king of the universe in your street, in your neighborhood, among your colleagues, among your extended family who don't believe, at the bowls club, wherever you turn up. You are God's priestly representative in that situation. And that's why it goes on, verse 5, and says, we're to offer spiritual sacrifices what are spiritual sacrifices you know what are they well you go to verses 9 and 10 and it, 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 the idea we're to declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light uh, it's the language of worship it's, it's party language uh, certainly when we we meet together you know i the Thing about COVID and lockdown time that I really missed, you know, apart from the people and gathering face-to-face, was the singing. And it was just Sue and I most often in the lounge room. Sue has a wonderful voice, but it's not sufficient to drown out my voice, you know? And, uh, you know, I love it, gathering with God's people and singing his praises together. Definitely when we meet together, not just singing, hearing the Bible read, praying, declaring our faith like we did in the creed to start the service. Peter wrote to Christians under enormous pressure to tone down their convictions. Uh, They were at risk with their meetings, at risk going public. In Australia, we can meet, but we are at risk Monday to Friday, or Monday to Saturday, as we engage with the people around us. But nonetheless, we're to praise God and offer him spiritual sacrifices 24-7, every day of the week, every set of relationships, every context that we find ourselves in. Once we were spiritually lost and didn't know God, but now we've received mercy. How good is that? Well we wanted every, everyone to know how good that is it's wonderful. Friends, we are privileged, and we 're privileged with a, a purpose or a vocation. Uh, i don't know if you're a film guy, most of us probably haven't been for at least 12 months, I guess, but uh, some the lines from some films they just stick in your brain over. The, is, here are a couple. That I was uh, thinking about Clint Eastwood and sudden impact. He's cornered a, uh, a criminal uh, in a corner. He has this big magnum colt uh, sitting there, and the guy he's cornered is thinking about whether he'll draw his gun. And Clint Eastwood in that film says, Go on, punk, make my day. You know, it's one of those lines that. You might not want to repeat to your children, but, you know, it, it just sits in, in your brain, OK? Or Arnold Schwarzenegger in The Terminator. Everyone will know this one, right? I'll be back, you know? It's just one of those iconic sort of lines. But I reckon possibly the most iconic and culture-shaping film of the last 20 years was... Spider-Man. Yes, I knew you were going to say that. Uh, Spider-Man. Acker. Peter Parker. In the film, he quotes something that his uncle Ben taught him. And this is the line. With great power comes great responsibility. With great power comes great responsibility. Now, if I was paraphrasing this bit of 1 Peter that we're looking at today, it goes something like this. With great privilege comes great responsibility. With great privilege comes great responsibility. Many of you will know the name Sam Kerr. She's the captain of the Matildas, the the women's soccer team. And they're uh, builders being uh, a chance for the gold medal playoff in Tokyo this year, assuming the games go ahead. I want you to imagine that the Matildas, they make the gold medal playoff game. Ten minutes before the match, they can't find Sam Kerr. She hasn't turned up. Their star player. So they get her on a mobile and say, Sam, where are you? You know, we're about, to, we're about to kick off. And she says, look, how often... So I thought I'd get to Japan, you know, and I figured I may never be here in Japan ever again, so I thought I'd take the day off to go out and look at some of their amazing ornamental gardens and they really are quite extraordinary like there'd be no way that would happen archie right? she is picked to captain australia and when australia play you turn up especially if you're in a gold medal playoff that's just the reality friends christians if you are a christian then you have been chosen by god he's shown us amazing grace and mercy Verse 10, once you were not a people, but now you are the people of God. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. And each day we have that extraordinary privilege of representing the king of the universe, the God who's shown us grace and mercy, living for the praise and glory of the one who has saved us. Friends, doing that among our neighbours, among our colleagues, among the people we go and buy stuff from at the shop, uh, at the bowls club, at whatever situation you find yourself in. God, in his mercy, has called us to that vocation. So friends, can I just encourage you, uh, as gently as I possibly can, Do make sure that you turn up. Make sure that having been selected and chosen, you show up day by day by day to live for the praise of the glory of the one who has chosen you. Okay? Let me pray. Heavenly Father, we do thank you that you're a God who has shown us extraordinary mercy. And Father, we thank you for this... Part of your word that just establishes in a foundational way the way Jesus uh, provides us with access to you. But not only that, clarity of self-identity and purpose. Father, we thank you that by your kindness we've been chosen. And Father, we pray that you'll help us to show up uh, for the praise of your glory day by day by day. And we ask it.